Hi, folks. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we talk about stories of inclusive people and innovation. I am Nadia Butt, and I'm joined with my co-star, Rob Hadley, today. Oh. Hey, Rob. What is good? Hello, Nadia. Everything's good. What's good? Everything's fantastic. Yeah. How are you today? Doing good. I'm doing good. Rob, what was your first job? Ah. Like, ever? Uh, I... <laughs> um, so my first job was my mom worked at the Division of Wildlife in Colorado. Uh, and okay. so I had this job responding to mail from people that were trying to get hunter's licenses and for some reason had a, some sort of a problem. So um, so I had a desk job. I had a desk job when I was like 15. Oh my gosh, that's interesting. Yeah. I love that. What do you think were some like meaningful things that you took away or that like that that you were taught or just in general, like what did you take away from that job? <laughs> I remember very vividly getting letters from people that say that their husband or father had applied for a hunting license and someone was writing into me to tell me that they had passed away. And so I think learning to respond to those things with empathy and uh, and uh -huh. and trying to uh, you know do a good job for that particular person and and you know just thinking about business as as being there's always a person on the other side of that uh, transaction so I think that was very sure. very very meaningful first experience for me. Love that. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> uh, it, uh, your first job, Nadia. What what do we got? Oh God. Well, the reason I asked you this question is because I'm I'm up in. Toronto visiting family and my cousin's son has a job at Tim Hortons. He's like 16. Awesome. And I was like, I, so my first job was Dunkin' Donuts. Oh. And oh. I was telling, I was sharing with my, my, my cousin's kid that like what I learned or skills that I, I feel like transferred to my adult, you know, adult life, which is like exactly what you said, like engaging with a customer, like understanding customer experience, understanding like how to handle money. Like there were so many life lessons that you learned at that age when you do things like retail or even like your desk job. Everyone, right? every every so, person should have to be in some sort of service job as almost like a uh, national service program to, to help people yeah. empathize, right? So uh, totally. Yeah. Yeah. Nadia, well let's uh I think it's I think it's time to get to some of the the news stories and news items that we're following this week. First thing we got to talk about, I think it's unavoidable. I think we have to talk about a big, big trend in workplace news, quiet quitting. I think we just have to talk about it. According to Gallup, only one third of U.S. workers describe themselves as engaged, which is a sharp drop, apparently, from 2020. And <laughs> okay. the, the focus on disengaged workers became something of a sensation this summer. As you know, when Gen Z workers filmed themselves and posted uh, themselves on TikTok, doing the absolute minimum to get by. Uh, so, okay. so Nadia, uh, do you have any thoughts on, on quiet quitting just because we, we have to talk about it? Do I have thoughts? Yes. Like, this is show, like definitely showing up more and more, especially, I know you're not on social media as much, but, like, I am. And I've definitely <laughs> seen it on, like, Instagram and LinkedIn and TikTok, yeah, when I'm, like, scrolling through. And I'm so curious about it because it is this new phenomenon. I was reading this um, HuffPost article about lifestyle fatigue, and it mentioned how people are just tired from everything, right? Like pandemic. We think about like the last three years. There's pandemic, vaccine, expectations from work, the demands from work. 
social issues, the election. I mean, sometimes we forget that like in the U.S. we had this like really contentious election a few years ago. Climate change, family, friendships, kids. I mean, all of these things that life has, right? Mm -hmm. I feel like the last few years have been just so bizarre. And a lot of that, (laughs) I know we're not psychologists, but like if we were to do armchair psychology, I feel like in many ways we've all experienced some form of trauma. And I, for me personally, part of that is like you spend so many hours at work and you do give yourself to the company. You're so loyal to a company. Is that actually what life is about? I don't know. And I think people are starting to question that, right? Like I've even heard this term quiet firing. Have you heard this? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I've been quiet fired as well said before too. <laughs> Right. It's, it's, I mean, it's, and then for our listeners who don't know what quiet firing is, it's basically when like leaders penalize their employees or ignore their employees to the point where they basically end up just leaving. It's like wild to me. Like it's creating this unhealthy atmosphere. I know you have a lot to say about it too. So I'll pause. What, what are your thoughts? No, I, I think that I don't know if it necessarily is a new thing. Right. And so since the dawn of humankind, people have, managed their labor, right? And based on the conditions that are presented to them, what's happening in their life, uh, you know, whether they like their job or not. And so I think that the only real innovation here from Gen Z is actually just uh, recording themselves and posting you know, videos of themselves not working hard, which people have done for a oh, really long yeah. period of time. So I think, sure. but I think, I think the finger in the eye aspect of it, of just saying, look, I'm doing the absolute minimum is, is the interesting thing. Um, but, you know, like, so I, you know, I feel like the labor markets are really, they're complex adaptive systems, meaning that people are, are not, you know, that if they're not engaged in their job, they may still stay. People that are super engaged, they may leave for different reasons. We all have different reasons for the way that we show up at work, the effort that we put in, how much effort we can expend based on what's happening outside of work. What we talk about on the show all the time is what we're advocating for is if if employers create an inclusive environment, a place where people feel like they belong, if they want to show up and, and do their best, uh, then you know they'll, they'll be fine. And, uh, and, and it's not necessarily going to be an issue. I think we always used to talk about this, right? Like people don't mm-hmm. come to work or take jobs and show up with the intent of not doing a great job, right? Like they show up right. every day. They don't, they're not, hey, I'm going to show up. I'm going to do a terrible job. What happens is that that is taken away from them, either bad manager, bad role, bad company. And I think that, you know, people Unclear respond. Unclear expectations, exactly. overburdened. Yeah, people respond totally. accordingly to those conditions. Right. I, that's great. I love that. I do. I, I, I am, I am feeling really bad for, I have this picture of a person in my mind. His his name's Bruce and he's in like the accounting department and he's 55 and he like, (laughs) he like, he retired quietly many years ago and I was just, you know, I just need to make it to the finish line. And now people are starting to ask him, Hey, do you think Bruce uh, is quiet quitting here? You know? And he's just like, I'm trying to just get through. Yes. I feel bad for that person. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I also, I well, yes, and I also feel bad for, like, the 23 or 24-year-old who just entered the workforce, and I understand that, like, there are bad managers out there that really focus not necessarily on a lot of empathy or just understanding that the world has shifted in the last three years. And right. I, I think having an understanding, empathetic, a leader who has these humanistic qualities, who's who's also very clear about the role and the work where folks don't feel overburdened. I think that's also real. Like 
I don't, yeah, I think it is that 55 year old, but I also think it's like the 23 year old who just got out of college and is sort of just like, what the heck did I enter? Like, this is, this is wildly crazy. But on the other side, I feel like there probably is also employees that maybe are just kind of coasting. I don't know. What do you think? Do you, do you think there are people that are just coasting and like, right. yeah, getting of course. paid? And, That's always happened, yeah. right? And, and we, we're a very it's dynamic country with a dynamic economic system. People can leave whenever they want and, and you can be held accountable as well. So I, don't, I, I, I just don't think that there's anything incredibly new. I do think the way you're talking about in terms of our collective trauma, all the different stressors that are put on people right now is probably having an influence uh, somewhat. For sure. But yeah. at its base level, if people create inclusive environments where people feel like they can, they want to do a good job, then, then companies will have success. Right. Moving on. All right, let's move on. What's the, yeah, what's this, what's the next story? So I also have a sports story for you, Nadia. Oh, love it. And uh, I, I found out from you yesterday that you basically get all of your sports news from me, right? Yes. And <laughs> I was, it's so funny. I used to like love watching sports. And then over the, I think maybe because of what you're probably similar to what you're probably going to share with me of what happened in the news, uh, I just got so like disheartened by watching a lot of the sports that's out there. Right understood. Now. And what you're talking, what we're talking about is that Phoenix Suns and Mercury owner Robert Sarver will sell the teams after the NBA conducted an investigation that found the Sarver over an 18 year period used racist and misogynistic language and frequently engaged in harsh and demeaning treatment of employees. And so to me, Nadia, you know, this is really interesting. I've been following the story for a while, right? So the the law firm that did the investigation for the NBA recommended a one-year suspension and a $10 million fine. And I think what was interesting was the players, notably LeBron James and Chris Paul uh, of the Phoenix Suns, that said effectively, that's not enough. That's not the environment that we think that we want to be a part of. It's not that what the league should stand for. And then also advertisers mm-hmm. like PayPal said they would pull their sponsorship unless Sarver was uh, left and, and, and sold the team. So the one thing that, you know, that relates to what we're talking about here on a weekly basis that I've seen over and over again. So the law firm and the NBA, they really shaded the penalty that they that they had allocated more toward the rights of Sarver, in, in my opinion. Mm. They were more concerned mm-hmm. about being sued by the owner who had committed these acts. And, you know, they weren't really fully in tune with the outrage and the, and the blowback that they would get from the fans, from the players, uh, and from their advertisers as well. And so I think that I, we see this a lot where companies take so much effort to be cautious about being sued for, like, say, reverse discrimination as opposed to. Uh, making sure that they're on the right side of you know for for their employees that are actually being discriminated against, um, yeah. and so I think it's just a really interesting example, and uh, another example of power shifting to employees as well, right? So, uh, you know, it's the players that made this happen. Most sports teams are owned by white males, and so this is where uh, and, no. and the, and the <laughs> really and the players are. <laughs> Most often not white males. And I think this is a case where mm-hmm. the, the players said, hey, we don't think that this penalty is enough. And and they forced, essentially forced the sale of the team. So may I share my thoughts? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> really brief thoughts. You know, kudos to the staff, the employees, the players for holding the NBA accountable. For those that don't know, NBA is basketball. Phoenix Suns <laughs> basketball team. 
what's interesting to me is, and I guess I just, I, maybe I just don't know enough about it, but I'd love to hear your perspective. Like this person who was going to be fine, this co, this owner, mm -hmm. sorry, who's the owner, he gets fined um, $10 million. And then he decides he wants to, instead to like kind of maybe run away from the problem. He's going to sell the team mm -hmm. where I would imagine he's going to make probably a big profit, right? Isn't the team worth like over a billion dollars? Yeah, so you'll probably make about a billion dollars on it. Okay. So you have this, you know, white male who's now been, first of all, I'd love to know, did he like even, was he, did he even acknowledge his behaviors from the past? Did he even like apologize for that? Like sincerely apologize for like the misogyny, the, what was it, bullying? There was like racist remarks, like all of those things. And then on top of it, you're gonna, he, he's going to make a profit. Like he's basically going to make money that continues to make him wealthy. And in my mind, it's like, what are the consequences? Like, has he actually learned in changing his behavior? I don't know. I just, it's, it's so interesting to me. I'm, I'm really happy though that the players held him accountable, hopefully the staff and everyone kind of involved. And it does sound like the NBA is making, is making means to hold people accountable. I mean, heck, I just heard like the Celtics head coach also is being held accountable for some inappropriate relations that he had with the staff member. But anyway, so those, I, I don't even know if my thoughts are making sense. I'm just, it makes, I'm it, disappointed it, in a, a lot of the professional leagues out there right now. Yeah, it makes sense. And one of the things that you, you know, you had asked me previously was, is this normal uh, for, for these organizations? And so I, what I think is, what I would say with regard to that is that, you know, this is an owner that's been around since the early 2000s. You know, these, as these franchises and the ownership groups start to flip, you start to see much more professionalized environments for these uh, sure. sports organizations. And so you're starting to see, so I, I'm, you know, I'm pretty, pretty certain that once they sell this club, there will be a much more professional organization in place and that, you know, it'll be a much better environment for all the players and all the employees of that particular team. Sure. I really hope so. Um, I also didn't know LeBron James played for the Phoenix Suns. I thought he, he still played for the Lakers. Was I wrong in that? <laughs> no, he does play for the Lakers. Chris Paul plays for the Phoenix oh. Suns. Oh, got it. Okay. Go sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for that, Nadia. Okay. We're going to take a short break and we'll be right back with Asad Butt. Welcome back, folks. Our guest today is Asad Butt. Some of you may know him as Asad. Asad is the CEO and founder of Refillion Media, a media and production company whose mission is to elevate diverse voices. Um, American Muslim Project is the company's first production, um, where he's also the host for. Uh, Asad is also a startup advisor and investor, primarily working with pet care and education founders and accelerator programs. Prior to his work in the startup industry, Asad worked in broadcast television and video production. In 2004, Asad helped launch Bridges TV, the first American Muslim lifestyle network, serving as its first news director, producer, and anchor. Rob, we're going to have to ask him about that. Um, he also teaches in the Media Ventures program at Boston University. He's an avid pickleball player, concert goer, and meme maker. He's also my older brother. Welcome, Asad. Thanks for joining us on Inclusive Collective. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is this is gonna be fun. It's yeah, yeah. Thanks for joining as part of our friends and family series that we're doing. Yeah, here. right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love it. Well, thanks so it. much for being here, Austin. Uh, it's great to see you. 
So I figured we could just start, just tell us a little bit about Refillion, what you're doing, what the vision is there, uh, what the gap that you saw based on your, your, your previous experience in media was and, um, you know, and, and what's, the, what's the opportunity that you think there is uh, for, for your new media company? Yeah, so, so I'll start by saying Refellion has kind of been a dream of mine for 20 years, almost since I you know, graduated from college, and I hadn't been able to kind of put the pieces together to launch it until, until recently. And the goal of the company has been to basically share the stories uh, that aren't being told in mainstream media. And, um, you know, the research that I've done in the last couple of years, you know, you see, and this is not news to anybody, especially people that listen to this podcast, is that media companies in North America are primarily owned by white men and uh, the funders are primarily white men. And as a result, through however you want to describe it, like the stories that end up being told, the protagonists that come across in these stories tend to be white male characters. And so people like me, brown, South Asian men or brown, like my sister, brown, South Asian woman, you know, very rarely see them. And so, oh, and, 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 and don't forget. And, oh, wait, never mind. Know, yeah. Rob, <laughs> Rob, Rob. We see you. We see you. I see you. <laughs> and so really, Rufelion, um, you know, we're starting with podcasts and we're starting with the American Muslim community. And then we want to expand into movies and TV shows. And the goal is to uh, do uh, a wide range of content. So we have, po- you know, podcasts that are talking about diversity, equity, inclusion in the business world. Ooh, and we have woo-woo. podcasts about what it was like to live as a, an American Muslim post uh, 9-11. And, you know, we want to go into sports and advice shows and you name it with a common denominator being that it's hosted and produced by people of color or people of the, as I've learned on this podcast, people from the new majority, right? Yeah. Okay. Very cool. So can you tell us a little bit more about in 2004, you said that you worked at the first uh, founded Muslim television company, Bridges TV. Can you tell us a little bit more about like why you went into that and what was your experience there? Um, Because it sounds very similar to what you're hoping to accomplish today. Like what went wrong kind of in that that industry? Yeah. Then. So in, in 2004, I helped launch the first American Muslim lifestyle network called Bridges TV. And the goal was to basically be like uh, BET is for the African-American community. Uh, it was the goal is to create a network like that for American Muslims. And it was on cable. And you got to remember 2004, this is pre-YouTube. This is pre-videos on the internet. So the only really way to reach a mass audience like that was through getting on a cable package. And so uh, Bridges TV was launched and I think it was technically launched in 2005. I can't, I can't remember, but we re- we launched on, you know, I think it was the Verizon network in a couple different cities across, uh, across the country. And the goal was to really showcase news and movies and TV shows and all sorts of content focused on the American Muslim community. And it failed miserably. <laughs> um, and part of it was it wasn't able to find that wide audience uh, because the Muslim American uh, community is is across the country, right? We're not. Th- there are pockets of of Muslim Americans in Detroit and New York and elsewhere, but you know, as a whole, you know, if you were, if it was, it was hard to to tar- to target American Muslims directly mm. through cable, you know, because you had to be on every single cable package. Sure. The second was you needed a lot of money to to produce really good content, mm-hmm. and we just didn't have it. 
things have changed quite a bit in the 15 years since then, you know, with the advent of streaming, podcasting, YouTubing, you name it, you can reach your audience a lot more direct directly. And, you know, you don't have to have expensive productions in order to, to generate revenue. And so, so, you know, those are the lessons that I learned from, from Bridges TV, it's just like, we don't need to go big right now in order to generate revenue and to drive, create content that our audience needs. In that venture where they're, you know, I'm thinking about 2004, still the 9-11, September 11th, 2001, still oh, yeah. totally. very recent in people's minds at that point. And then we're, you know, we're conducting a war, uh, multiple wars, right? In Afghanistan and Iraq at that point, were there biases against that project at that time? And then just tell me, what does it look like? Uh, what does the landscape look like now? Yeah, you know, it's, I mean, the fact that it launched <laughs> in that time period is actually pretty remarkable, you know, and I think it was, it was the, the previous generation of people like you at these organizations that realized that, that they needed to diversify their content mm. that, that, that they were offering on their packages. And, and this was the right way to do it. I think also we were coming off the heels of BET being a billion dollar uh, business. Mm. And so people realized there might be some money in niche and, um, around the same time, the other type of niche um, network that launched was Logo, targeting the gay and lesbian community, which ended up taking off and, and blowing up. You know, it was, it was great compared to Bridges TV. And so I think they were a lot better funded and, and had better management. And so Lifetime Network. Yeah, I you think. Know, right. Oh, yeah, Lifetime Network. Yeah. 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 60 year old white women, you know, like there was that. <laughs> oh, my God. Target. All of my friends love the Lifetime movies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. So, you know, I think that, you know, what I think the biggest difference, as I kind of alluded to before now, is that, like, you know, you can create content to just put it online. I mean, there still is a big challenge. I think, you know, from, to, say, 2005 to 2017, there's still a bunch of challenge of getting network television or cable television to do content specifically for American Muslims. There are pockets of movies and TV shows and other content that came out. What we've seen in the last I would say three to five years is again this reemergence. I'm kind of I kind of describe it as like a second wave of Muslim creativity uh, post 9/11, where we're really seeing things like Rami. We saw the show called Whoa. Mo that just mm -hmm. came out last week. So good. Um, you know our our network and and a bunch of other content specifically targeting American Muslims because the business model now works. You know, for lack of a better better sure. phrase. You know, it's so interesting too. Like, how do you? Um... There's Al Jazeera, there's like Young Turks, which are, I know they're not specifically Muslim geared, but they're, they're news, um, they're, you know, journalism organizations, media journal, uh, media organizations. How do you see yourself kind of being different? I, I know storytelling is a major component of um, your media, you know, production company. What are some of the other ways that you're different than the Al Jazeera or the Young Turks. Yeah. I'm hoping that our, honestly, our biggest differentiator is, uh, Rob, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, it is Rob, um, uh, uh is, uh, quantity as, uh, uh, in addition to quality, you know, I think that we, we were just talking about lifetime, you know, talk to me about how many Christmas movies come out every year, you know, mm. 60, mm -hmm. 70, right? Like how many Eid movies do you know of? I know yeah. of one I mean, short film, right? And so, mm -hmm. like, even if you were, even if Rafaelion was just to focus on creating five Christmas movies over the next decade and and continuing that trend, like, 
you know, there's money to be made in the in them hills, as they say, right? And so, and then uh, the second part of that is that there is this entire generation of Muslim creatives that are just chomping at the bit to express themselves, right? And so it's really, uh, it's it's almost like venture investing <laughs> in some way, shape, or form. You throw enough investment money behind some of these projects, one of them is going to blow up and be the next, you know, my big fat Greek wedding or, you know, mm. whatever it may be, right? Serial podcast. And it just, we just haven't had to go back to another sports analogy, as many swings at the plate as other communities have had. Mm. Mm. Do, you, do you understand that reference, Nadia? I do sports. Go sports. (laughs) Go sports. (laughs) Yeah, and I think we've hit a touched upon it a couple of times here, and I think that big fat Greek wedding analogy is good. So I I always wonder about. I I think about my childhood, uh, you know, many many years ago, but there was (laughs) there was there was some ubiquitousness in the media, but that created some shared experiences as well. And so we think about like. BET, BET, you know, because of the rise of hip hop, it started to get traction with white audiences as well. Yeah, yours truly watching Video Soul like after school, right? And Video Soul, <laughs> and, and, and I love my, that image. My main man, I want to. I would Stimson, love to right? picture you dancing. <laughs> yes, that's yeah, amazing. But, so, so I just is that what you you know so there's tar- you know we we're super ultra targeted with our media now and so the, even the two uh shows that you reference I've certainly never heard of and I think that 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 we we don't have those shared experiences for, uh, at all and so is it are you do you look for to draw in a, a broader audience as well I mean what is the and what are your thoughts on that that fragmentation of media as it relates to yeah. like a healthy environment and shared experiences yeah no i i 100% i mean i think that i i think as i look at at projects and what we greenlight, I think there, there's got to be a mix of kind of niche and wider, you know, audiences. I think that, you know, the wider audience might not necessarily mean the greater white or non-Muslim American audience. It could mean mm-hmm. the Egyptian audience or the Pakistani sure. audience or, you know, the international audience that are, that is Muslim, right? And I think that's that's something that I, w- I would like for uh, for our content to to, to reach as well, because, you know, I think it's interesting, um, you know, media influences, you know, we see the influence of media across the board, you know, whether it's positive or negative. Right. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, I think for us to be in the arena, to produce content, you know, yes, the goal is to reach a wider audience, to reach people that are adjacent to American Muslims so that they can better understand us and, and under, yeah, understand our stories. Well, and there's representation, right? Like totally. I've never really grown up seeing, other than like Bollywood movies, I've never really seen an American Muslim play a lead role until like Riz, I feel like maybe prior to Riz Ahmed, but I feel like he's kind of more popular right now. He's And he's not even American. He's yeah. British. <laughs> he's British Pakistani, yeah. you know? So watching Mo on Netflix just a few weeks ago, I was like, oh my God, like, He's Palestinian Muslim, but there's so many references that I can relate to. Um, although I'm not a refugee and I'm not Palestinian, there were just still so many overlaps. And I was like, it's so cool to see this person play this lead role in a really funny show yeah. that other like that non-Muslims can watch and, and be entertained by. Totally. And I think, Rob, to your, your point as well, or your question as well, like it's, so many Americans now are interested because of 
in the last, especially in the last couple of years, this the conversations that we're talking about here, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, you know, that kind of stuff. Like they're mm-hmm. interested in the other, the, the things that are different from them, you know. And so just this past week, as I had texted my sister in my lo- small little section of Portland, Oregon, there was a 5 p.m. Uh, a Bollywood dance party. And 99% of the people that showed up were white people of Portland, right? It was uh, and so there's, you know, there's an interest in this and they were better dancers than definitely than I was, <laughs> you know, they, they, they could dance the bug moves, you know, and, and is that and so a high bar though? Yeah. <laughs> I did not, uh, I did not practice like you did after school to, to be to soul, soul. <laughs> video soul. Video yeah, video soul. soul. Video was soul. That okay? yeah. Yeah. I could do the, the nineties head grunge, you know, head bob. That's about it. Oh my God. So also, I, I have a question for you. You know, you have this experience in ed tech, definitely in the startup space, the accelerator space. How uh, now you're in the you're also in um, experience in the pet care industry. How have all those kind of experiences helped you with starting your own company? What are some of like the the things that have benefited from that experience, but also maybe some of the barriers that you've you've um, come across as well. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think the the best thing about being an accelerator kind of director and investor is that I've seen a, a lot of other founders and what they've struggled with and what they've done right. And so I've been able to kind of learn the lessons uh, of that and, and also their management styles. And, I, and I, I, I'm the first to say, if I was to have started this company when I was 25 or even when I was 30 or 35, you know, my management skills just were not ready at that point to handle. And, and, and you know, frankly, they're probably not even ready right now, but I'm, <laughs> you know, a lot better educated on, you know, I, I think, again, talk about the influence of media. You know, I think, you know, in my early 20s and even my first experiences out of college in the workforce, you know, the norm was having bosses that yell at you, right? And that, are antagonistic and that You're you work of, you work yeah. 80 hours a week and then you know all this all these kind of bad quote unquote or bad cultural habits for the workplace and you know i i think about the you know the type of manager i was you know 10 years ago five years ago to who i am now you know it's night and day and um you know there's still a lot that i have to learn which is why i listen to your podcast but yeah and i think the the other big skill is that you know, especially being around in the startup space is that startups are all about grabbing all the resources that you can, building that team, getting and getting projects off the ground. And in the media space, that's everything, right? You're a new podcast, a new movie, a new TV show is all about building that team, finding that funding, Mm -hmm. finding that project, greenlighting it and go. And so I feel like the last 20 years of my career have been basically positioning myself to to execute on Rafaleon and so far it's going you know okay <laughs> and, 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 and work with your right sister now. oh yeah right yeah, yeah. Yeah. How is it going right now? Yeah. It's go. It's only going well because we brought in the white man Rob to help us out with everything. <laughs> He's my favorite. He's yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, this, yeah minority partner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the can I do one on on just media bias as well. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, Asad, as we as we speak today, an area the size of Colorado is underwater in Pakistan, and yeah. obviously there was the the uh, horrific conditions in Puerto Rico post a hurricane. 
And so my guess is that most Americans don't know that, especially the piece about Pakistan. Uh, so, you know, I see very little coverage. Like, what is your perspective? Just curious on your thoughts. And am I overreacting uh, yeah. to the some of the bias in the way that uh, we, we get our news? I, I, no, I think you're 100% right. And I think this goes back to uh, the first question is why we're starting Rafaelion is is that representation and, and who owns quote unquote owns the the media organizations and who is deciding what is news. I'll, you know, I'll give you a, a perfect example. When I first started my career, I was interning at a radio station in Boston when 9-11 happened. And mm -hmm. literally I'm an intern two, two weeks in, uh, three weeks in 9-11 happens. And uh, a producer, you know, after the, they started bombing Afghanistan, a producer runs into the newsroom and goes, how do you pronounce this 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 city Peshawar Peshawar you know in in Pakistan and I you know turn like you pronounce it Peshawar and he looks at me he's like well how do you know and I'm like well my family's <laughs> my family's from there you know like that's that's how I know right and like that to me that's like the perfect illustration of like representation in these rooms matter right and like the fact of the matter is is that news organizations right now they probably don't have a lot of South Asians that are journalists that are that can tell them or explain to them why it's such a big deal that this flooding is happening and climate change and all this kind of stuff. And same with with Puerto Rico. Like I think it's there's not an, uh, enough quote unquote diversity that you don't like diverse people that you don't like to say uh, mm -hmm. at the at the table. Um, <laughs> and and I think part of it is also is that we have too much media consolidation, too many of these organizations right. are controlled by, you know, uh, a couple organizations. And so, you know, de and decisions are made because of revenue reasons, as opposed to journalistic reasons. I mean, it's a whole host of reasons. And, and then we can also get into like, you know, what's covered is really what's important to the coastal elites, because they're, mm. you know, the ones that are uh, predominantly in these newsrooms. And so then, you know, it's yeah you know, th that kind of stuff as well so yeah there's a whole host of issues and i could go on for for a long time talking about it but well asad but thank you so much for joining inclusive collective we really appreciate you joining us yeah thanks this was a lot of fun i i hope rob that you'll um kick now the office co-host and and make me the permanent one <laughs> it, it become a sports become yeah, a sports, sports well, podcast, let's do it right? yeah if you're, if you're looking for a sports show i think you i think you i think we know where to Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. Appreciate thanks. it. Thanks so much. Yeah, thanks. We'll be right back after this. Welcome back, folks. Rob. It was kind of weird having my brother on was it? the was podcast it with us. Was, was, it, was it tough for you? No, it wasn't tough. No. Did you know I the just, answers you know, to all so the questions before you asked them? I I didn't. That's like Do you feel closer so to your brother now? I've always felt, I mean, we, we've, we've gotten closer over the last two years. You know, it's, I'll give you my quick kind of takeaways. I think it's so interesting that we both took very different career paths as we, you know, are now, you know, 20 years into our career. It's, we both are doing very similar things. Like I'm researching the lived experiences of American Muslims in the workplace. And he is trying to elevate diverse voices through really trying to, bring more representation of American Muslims to, to the media, to stories, to, it's just, it's just interesting to me. And, and, um, 
yeah, I really appreciated him sharing that with with our audience and in the world. Yeah, what are yeah. Your, what are your takeaways? That was great stuff. I, I love talking about media, uh, obviously, and, and he has such a great background. And so, uh, you know, thank you, thanks, thanks both of you for for inviting me into your family. I'm I'm, I'm happy. I'm uh, uh, you know part of the uh, I'm the fourth the butt household. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get your sister on here next time as well. You know, maybe we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll call her sure. in. So, uh, Nadia, we have a we have a good a closing segment, new closing segment. Yes, it is called Raves and Rants, and yes. the way it works is we're every week we're going to determine by coin flip who's going to do a rave, which is something positive that they okay. see this week or something they're looking forward to, and who's going to rant or complain about something as well. Okay. Kicking it off this week, you drew the rave, so I will cede the floor to you. So uh, last week, a Congress member from Louisiana, Rep. Clay Higgins, had a contentious exchange with a witness where he shouted at her using phrases like young lady and called her boo. And I really appreciate Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, from uh, New York, where she called him out on that shit. <laughs> and she was reminded him how super condescending and misogynistic his behavior was. And I just thought it was wonderful that she held him accountable um, because you know what? If you see something, you say something. Absolutely. So I'm here for leaders calling out other leaders' stupid behavior. Yeah. I, politics aside, whatever you think about AOC, it's probably my favorite quality is that in the moment she calls everyone out on on their behavior and and it's it's yeah. a really powerful example of how you're supposed to do it right in the moment and, and stand up for people and stand up for yourself so love that as well in a very classy way yeah no, yeah absolutely. no she's she, she she always gives a master class on stand up for yourself and stand up for others so i really appreciate that as well sure. uh so my rant what's your rant uh, my rant, yeah, what's your uh, rant so you know for all of the I think that there's like this one-to-one correlation between CEOs and companies that built really awesome, expensive office buildings in the run-up to 2020, uh, and then also those those CEOs and companies have magically said that that it's really important to be in the office in order to sustain their culture, right? Um, and so I've had a couple of anecdotal things this week where people have told me that their companies are trying to get them to go back into the office, um, mm-hmm. you know, and, mm. and, and, and it just so happens that they have beautiful campuses that people, uh, you know, that they spent a lot of money on pre-2020. And so I just hate that the, when companies and, and particularly CEOs hide, you know, for the first time, maybe they've never been too worried about culture before, but now that they've got a vacant office building sitting there, they, they're really into culture and it's really important to them. So it's yeah. not to say that, you know, the offices aren't important and that environment is important for some companies. Of course it is, but you have to have a really good reason to bring everyone back, to make people commute, um, which obviously disadvantages people that live farther away, which most often are people that aren't <laughs> at the top of the organizational chart, right? And so, um, right. you know, so hiding behind culture, I, I get really, uh, I'm really annoyed by that this week. Yeah, that's a great rant. Thank you for ranting on that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> My pleasure. Nadia, it's been a great time. Thank you so much. Inclusive Collective is a production of Refillion Media. If you like what you heard, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. If you have any feedback for us directly, send us an email at inclusivecollective at Find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook. Are we on TikTok? 
We're kind of on TikTok. Kind of We're going to get more present on TikTok. Yeah, yeah. Kind yeah. of on TikTok. Yeah, maybe next week we'll be on TikTok. Uh, yeah. Thanks again to our guest, Asad Butt. We'll be back next week. Nadia, it's been a pleasure. Be swell. <laughs> be well. <laughs>